in Ewing Township, down by the Essex rubber plant, there was once a shack. It was a converted tool shed, really. If you were to pass by the shack late at night, when its occupant was home, you might see a faint light glowing from a small window. And if you were to go up to that window and look inside, you would see its sparse furnishings. There was no bed. Just a dresser, and a small stove, and a chair, where the shack's occupant sat. The man had a big mustache, and wore overalls and an engineer's hat. The man was reading a newspaper. And as the night wore on, he would set down one paper, and pick up another. In this way, he would go through a whole stack. When morning came, the man would rise out of his chair and go to work. The man's name was Albert Herpin, and he was known throughout the world as the man who never slept. It's Forgotten History. Dick and Hyatt. I'm Joe Amansky. And on Forgotten History, we discuss unusual and interesting stories from central New Jersey's past. Today's story is about something that's less historical, maybe, and closer to a local legend. It's about a man named Albert Herpin, who was known as Trenton's Sleepless Wonder. And as implausible as it sounds, uh, the reason this isn't just a pure urban legend is that there were a lot of articles written about him in his own time. Starting in 1904, many newspapers wrote about Herpin and the claim that he made, which was that he had not slept a wink since 1894. In the second half of the show, I'd like to talk about whether this was a remotely plausible claim to make. But for the moment, let's set skepticism aside and go over Herpin's life as reported by the newspapers. So first, how did you first hear about this story? How did you come upon this one? You know, this one has kind of been floating around for a long time. Like, when I first started thinking of doing the show... I uh, thought that The Man Who Never Slept might be a good topic. And then I discovered that there was a book written about him by a local man named Robert Quinn. And he wrote a semi-fictionalized account of Herpin's life. It's a pretty interesting book. Um, So I read that, and then I uh, did some more research, and uh, that's how we came about the topic. So there is a lot of contradictory information out there about Herpin and where he came from. Uh, The first articles about him say that he was a Frenchman born in 1862, but there's some dispute about that. In Robert Quinn's book, he says, after having done some original research and looking at public records, uh, he says that he was an American born to a French father. It also says that he was born Alex Herpin, but changed his name to Albert at some point. So right off the bat, there's a little bit of disputed information. But nevertheless, First articles were in Trenton papers, but they got picked up by hundreds of other newspapers all around the country. So here's what the New York Times wrote on February 26, 1904. Albert Herpin, born in France in 1862, and for 15 years a hostler in the employ of freeholder Walter Fares of this city, declares that he has not slept a wink in the past 10 years. Notwithstanding this, he is in perfect health and does not seem to suffer any discomfort from his remarkable condition. And a, a hostler is someone who takes care of horses, by the way. And here's the Times-Picayune of New Orleans a few days later on March 3rd. A dispatch from Trenton, New Jersey says, The physicians of this city are puzzling their heads over the queer case of Albert Herpin, who declares he has not slept a wink in ten years. Herpin is 42 years old and a Frenchman. He is no inconvenience on account of his lack of sleep. 
He is employed as a delivery wagon driver at the grocery store of Freeholder Fairs. Herpin says that he began to lie awake nights 16 years ago when his last son was born. I was nervous, I suppose, says he. Four years afterward, my wife died, and the shock must have affected my nerves, because I have not been able to sleep since. I have been treated in hospitals and privately, but to no purpose. At bedtime, I go to bed like everybody else, but not to sleep. I simply lie down to rest. I get up about 5 o'clock in the morning and then go to my work. I feel just as I did when I slept every night. So for us, working as writers, as journalists, the first thing that I'm struck by is that a few days later, he's changed from a hostler to a wagon driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a subtle difference, but... I guess fact-checking was a little bit different in 1904. Yeah. Uh, so these articles attracted further attention, and it must have been a slow news year because there continued to be many articles about him. Um, in August, the Trenton Evening Times wrote about him again. Albert E. Herpin, Trenton's sleepless wonder, claims to have just refused an offer of $10,000 from a scientific association of Vienna. He says the association wants him to go there to undergo a 30-day test regarding his ability to live without sleeping. Herpin says that a few days ago, a man approached him on the street and informed him that the government wanted some data on his case. Within the last day or so, Herpin says he received a letter from President Roosevelt thanking him for the information and saying he would like to shake the hand of the most wide-awake Republican in the United States. (laughs) The sleepless man is now employed by the city in the street cleaning department. So another job change, right, a couple months later. And the thing about $10,000 is interesting because I found an article from a Massachusetts paper just a few days later that said the exact opposite, that he had offered to become a subject if he was given $10,000. And that article, I think, may have been just misreading the other articles that are going around. And uh, that article also goes on a digression about how life would be worse if Albert Herbin were to teach his technique of not sleeping to the world, then you wouldn't get any rest anymore. It's sort of an odd rambling article. And like, like you said, the tone of these is very different from modern journalism. Like the impression I got was like of an old man sitting on a porch telling you a half-remembered story that he wasn't sure was true. They don't seem completely reliable, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, uh, it's funny because I haven't spent that much time reading stories or or newspapers from back in the day. But, you know, I remember reading this one. I don't know how I came upon it, like the Trenton Evening News or Evening Standard or something from, I, I feel like 1898 is the date in my mind. And like the lead story in the front page was something like, you know, Mrs. Jones is feeling poorly. Uh, everyone in town is leaving soup at her door and hoping that she feels better soon. It's like, you know, the, that was kind of. Or uh, I just been rewatching Deadwood and 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 uh, actually that I think people who who remember the way that uh, A. W. Merrick is uh, how he does news on that show probably kind of have a sense of how a story like this one actually gets written uh, when they kind of take a few liberties with what they're doing. For their own purposes. There is more journalism about him. Uh, in April, the New York Times writes about him and says that he has gotten 14 marriage proposals. A wealthy widow of New York wrote two letters and didn't get a reply. Um, he told the New York Times he was tired of all the marriage proposals. And the Times also said he got letters that were kind of what seemed to be trolling him um, with suggestions for how to get sleep. 
Um, there's one suggestion that he take large amounts of laudanum, another that he leave the gas on in his house, another that he fall asleep with his head stuck in a bucket of water, or sleep with his foot head at the foot of the bed. Um, so that just kind of reinforced my impression that they, even the journalists were not really taking him seriously. They were just kind of making fun of him. It was like a novelty news item. And that for some reason is frowned upon today. <laughs> and also, I'm not sure why not sleeping would make him such a hot commodity as a, as a husband. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I think a lot of wives <laughs> would ask their husbands to sleep a little longer. Uh, so then this, there, there was international attention. Uh, the British magazine The Strand in 1905 wrote an article which gave a little bit more of a substantial biography of him that said he was a musician as a young man and he was in great demand at entertainments. And this, interestingly, was backed up by an article that Robert Quinn found and put in his book that is from 1881 about a performance of the Albert E. Herpin and the Millionaires Band where he played multiple instruments. So whatever else, uh, I mean, I think if we're seeing this from multiple sources, we can say it's uh, corroborated. And the Strand describes him as pretty normal-looking, with the exception of a somewhat peculiar look around the eyes, and he does not show any effects of his night watches. And there's another discrepancy, because it says he is 40, and that was in 1905, so that doesn't match up. And it also says he lived in a comfortable home at that point in his life, and was fairly well off. This has a little bit of the makings of a classic urban legend, I have to say. <laughs> a little bit. But it, it also says that he is not benefiting at all monetarily from his unusual condition, that he swore he would never join a circus or a sideshow to profit off of his ability to not sleep. Right, because a guy who can't sleep is a really exciting thing to watch <laughs> at the carnival. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> So they would just have him come out on stage not sleeping. Everybody would be like, wow, look at him, he's awake. He kind of looks like just a guy standing there. <laughs> Who would have thought? So throughout Albert Herpin's life, there were more newspaper articles about him. In 1908, a trade magazine called Clay Record wrote about him. And this time it was not as a street sweeper, but as a pottery decorator. Now, at the time, Trenton was one of the world's biggest producers of pottery. It was a huge industry. And apparently he was quite skilled at this because the article credits him with inventing a technique of printing photographs beneath the glaze of pottery, which was apparently a technical challenge that they were struggling with, and he solved it. So this article, you know, overall, there is some consistency in that they give the impression of someone who's smart, who's well-liked, who is making this extraordinary claim, but there's no indication he is benefiting from it in any way. You know, I'm starting to get this suddenly... uh talking about this i'm getting this like wilhelm scream kind of vibe like there was some kind of game among the editors of the newspapers of the time like see if you can get a a herpin story into your paper and add a little bit of another like another twist another twist to the legend and like they they had a space to fill so like well let's make up another story about that guy that doesn't sleep like a joke I don't know. Conspiracy theory. (laughs) Well, this next article kind of maybe goes to your point here, because this is the Grand Forks Herald writing in 1912. And this time, uh, in contrast to the others where he has suffered no ill effects, he is described as being physically weak and claims that a nap of five minutes would give him new life. But his doctors disagreed and said that his tiredness was from overwork, not from lack of sleep. 
John. Maybe not not a very good doctor there. <laughs> and it now says that he does not rest in a bed, but only sits in a chair. Yeah, if you don't sleep, I mean, make some room. I mean, get that bed out of there. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You just need a chair. Yep. And so in 1939, uh, T. Howard Waldron wrote about Herpin. He was a journalist. And according to Waldron, back in the 1890s, before all this publicity, Joseph Pulitzer, publisher of the New York World, sent a team of doctors to Trenton to watch Herpin 24 hours a day to see if he ever slept. And they watched him for a week, and he did not sleep, and they left completely baffled. Now, here is one that I really wish there was more detail about, because this is the closest thing I could find to anyone actually attempting to verify this claim in a scientific way uh, but you don't know when the test was done or where or what the names of the doctors were did they write a report and also the fact that this was supposedly in the 1890s doesn't totally make sense because he hadn't at that point he hadn't gone public with his uh his not sleeping there were more articles about him most famously he was in ripley's believe it or not oh yeah that's mm-hmm. that's ideal i mean that's that's tailor-made yep and he died in 1947, and there was an obituary of him in the New York Times. It says, by that point, he was a recluse who lived in the outskirts of the city, and also gives his age at 94, which would have meant he was born in 1853, not 1862, as originally reported. In 1990, the Times of Trenton wrote a column about him. They d- described how he lived in the shack that I was describing at the beginning of the show, and that for his last 30 years, he was a street sweeper who did odd jobs. And there are other descriptions of how he lived on canned fish and crackers from a local deli. And he would work in Trenton and walk two miles home to a shack every day. And that's uh, quite a fall from grace from someone who once had a good job in the pottery industry. (laughs) Well, I have to say, too, I mean, not very enterprising of him. I mean, like, if you're going to be up all night, like, work a second job, you know? Well, he wanted to read newspapers instead. And there never was an explanation for why his life went downhill like that and none of the articles say that he was an alcoholic or anything like that but he definitely was a local legend so uh, robert quinn says that when he was 10 his father took him for a walk near albert herbin's shack and pointed out that there was a man who never slept who lived there so after the break we will talk about the scientific side of the story Well, we got a lot of feedback on the last episode, which was about this house in Hopewell called The Castle and the eccentric and extremely racist health guru who built it, Webster Edgerly. And we also wrote an article to go along with the podcast episode that has more information that we did not get into the show, as well as some pictures. And that was published in our papers, The Hopewell Express and US One. So you can find both of those at communitynews.org slash Hopewell Express or at the US One website at princetoninfo.com. And you can search for it or just scroll down a ways and you'll find it. And we did get some mail in response to it, as well as an iTunes review and a number of comments on the article. Oh, Stephen from Hopewell writes, I just found your podcast from the article in the Hopewell Express. Cool stuff. Keep it up. And then he suggested some topics that we do. So thank you, Stephen, for listening. Those are good ideas. I'll keep those to myself for now, but you might hear about them on future episodes. Yeah, it seems like there is an unusual amount of history in Hopewell Valley for the size of the town. Uh, Lots of good, interesting stuff there. Yeah, you know, I also got a letter uh, from a reader uh, who had a correction for us. I think we had skipped one of the residents who lived in the house. And uh, 
Um, also, some of the Facebook comments, there were a lot of people who, who knew about the house and had stories to add about the house, and including a minor or maybe not so minor celebrity. Yeah, a major celebrity, John Popper from Blues Traveler. And he also had a minor correction because on the podcast we said that he lived in the castle. But apparently he did not actually live there, but he did party there all the time, which is why people got the impression he lived there. And he said, quote, I did get lost in there long enough to feel like I lived there. But I never got mail there. And he used a little winky smiley. You know what those gigs were like, he went on. Just read it. How cool. It had a very confusing coke-fueled energy, though. I can't completely blame that on the feng shui. (laughs) But for my part, I never lived there, having the house on Kingston Road and parents who never let me do anything like live somewhere else in high school. But many parties played there, and a lot of original-seeming stuff was there. It was a legendary place. And had a frenzied energy. I'm saving this article. Thanks. We learned a little bit about Mr. Popper as well, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So thank you, John Popper, for reading the article, and I hope you listen to the podcast too. We got lots of other great feedback on the articles in the comment sections, but the podcast Facebook page itself is still pretty quiet. So just a reminder that that does exist, and you can find it by looking up Forgotten History on Facebook. And lastly, we got a review on iTunes, which is awesome because it really helps out the podcast. The more reviews and five-star ratings we get, the more iTunes will show us to new listeners. And this review says, Who would have known that so much quirky fun would come from such a localized area? Psych wards, slavers, encounters with iconic figures, well done. Uh, thanks. And I agree that there is a lot of really cool stuff around here to talk about. I don't think you could do a podcast about weird local history anywhere, but you definitely can here. So thanks for that, and if you have any suggestions for future topics, or if you would like to leave feedback, or just chat about local history, visit our Facebook page or send us an email. That's at ForgottenHistoryNJ at gmail.com. Thanks, and back to the show. The story of Albert Herpin is a bit murky, as we just saw. I wish someone like John McPhee had written about him so we had a detailed, accurate account, but we'll just work with what we have. And despite all the changing details, the core claim remains the same, which is that there was a man named Albert Herpin, and he never slept. And that is something that we can talk about. There's lots of scientific research on this. What happens if you go without sleep? And it's kind of hard to study in a comprehensive way because... You couldn't just run an experiment where you didn't let someone sleep for as long as possible because that would not be ethical. If you look at the Guinness Book of World Records, there is no longer a record for staying awake on the rationale that it's dangerous to attempt. And this is in a book that has records like breaking the sound barrier in freefall and riding a four-wheeler at 196 miles an hour. A rare example of restraint for, uh, <laughs> for old Guinness. But before they stopped printing the records, there was a man who claimed the record, and this was the longest documented case of someone going without sleep, and his name was Randy Gardner. And he stayed awake for 11 days under observation in 1964 for a science fair project, of all things. Now, this is a 17-year-old kid, and he, he just decided, like, I'm just going to stay awake for as long as I can. For the first two days, he was fine. He had no trouble. On day three, he started to feel nauseous, but he could take the nausea away by eating tangerines and oranges. Pretty soon after that, he started to not be able to remember things. 
Uh, a few days into the experiment, a researcher from Stanford named William Dement, what a great name, uh, <laughs> arrived to monitor him. And they drove around in a convertible to keep Randy awake. Here's a, a report from NPR that says what happened next. At 2 o'clock in the morning on January 8, 1964, Randy broke the world record. He had gone 11 days, 264 hours, without drifting off. There was only one way to celebrate. He was whisked off to a naval hospital where researchers attached electrodes to his head to monitor his brain waves, and he went to sleep. Sounds about right. And he slept for 14 hours after that, and at the time, it seemed like there were no ill effects. And he gave a press conference at the end of the 11 days where he seemed completely with it and normal. Uh, but in 2017, there was a follow-up. He gave an interview to NPR at age 71, and he told the reporter that he had had terrible insomnia for the past 10 years, and he called it karmic payback for going without sleep on purpose. His record was supposedly beaten by one Maureen Weston of Peterborough in Cambridgeshire in 1977 during a rocking chair marathon, and she stayed awake for 18 days and 17 hours. So th those are the current world records, and I will note that those are both longer than Herpin was supposedly kept under observation, right? Mm -hmm. So if his doctors monitored him for a week, it's possible that he had just stayed awake for a week. That's true. Now, what's the longest that you ever recall going without sleep? Um, this was very recent because, as you know, we recently had a baby, mm -hmm. and it was really bad timing because the baby came, you know, you know, it came at night. So I didn't get any sleep that night or the night after. Really? And uh, after that, I only got sporadic sleep because we were in the hospital room and nurses were coming in and it was just a circus. So I, I really started to feel like I was in an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. Like, did, did you ever have anything like that? I've never stayed up for 24. I've stayed up for more than 24 straight hours, but I've never gone without sleep at some point. I think a few times I fall, I've gone to bed at like 5 a.m. and then woken up at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And I would have been awake for more than 24 hours at that point. But it's funny about the altered state. Like, it, like you say, you just kind of... I don't know, you see the world differently. Like, you start not to care that much about... Or I start, I should say, I start not to care that much about stuff and just get very blasé about things. And um, Although I have to say, some of the times I stayed up all night were for cramming sessions for final exams. And at that point, you're not really thinking about anything except writing an essay or whatever for the test in, in, not, in four hours. So, you know, and then you sleep all afternoon if you can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I went about 36 hours without sleep. And by the end, they were coming in and like asking me to fill out forms and birth certificates and stuff. And I actually went back later, a couple of days later, to look at what I had written to make sure I didn't make some stupid mistake on the kid's birth certificate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know someone whose name was misspelled on their birth certificate just because the dad didn't know how to spell the name and he was the one who filled <laughs> it out. So you definitely want to get that, nip that one in the bud because that guy is still actually don't they say oprah winfrey's name was misspelled on her birth certificate it was supposed to be orpha but i don't know if that's because any of her parents were lacking sleep so uh, don't don't connect the two sorry my mistake well <laughs> the science says that after you're awake for about 18 hours you start to experience some symptoms uh first your reaction time deteriorates where it takes about twice as long to 
react to things than when you're well rested. And we think about 18 hours isn't even that long. It's like if you get up at 6 a.m. by midnight, your your reaction time is basically the same as being slightly drunk. You start to get clumsy. You start to get hungry. Your mood worsens. And, of course, you start to feel sleepy. You're more prone to getting sick. You can get headaches. Uh, after 36 hours, the real craziness begins. Um, you start to lose the ability to form new memories. And you can also create false memories. Uh, some people experience hallucinations, confusion, symptoms similar to psychosis, increased blood pressure, increased stress hormones. Um, in other words, nothing good. Job performance goes way down in whatever you're doing if you're not well rested. And uh, in fact, many famous accidents have been blamed on people who were sleep deprived. Uh, Chernobyl, if you've been watching the series Chernobyl, that was that incident was caused by some sleep-deprived engineers in the control room. Uh, the Exxon Valdez, um, sleepy captain, in addition to being drunk, and a lot of plane crashes. Yeah, this is why I've never understood why police and and doctors like have some sort of... I mean, it's so commonplace for them to have 24-hour shifts or mm-hmm. to work 40 hours in four days. I mean, like, don't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the right way to do things. Uh, I think we want people to be as well-rested as possible, particularly in those situations. But I don't know, for some reason they, I know they get naps and things like that, but still, this doesn't make sense to me. And when you try to force yourself not to sleep, your brain rebels and does this thing called microsleep. Uh, when you're extremely sleep deprived, you, you can fall into microsleep for a few seconds at a time without being aware of it or even remembering it. And that's extremely dangerous because that can happen while you're driving or doing something else. And that is usually a phenomenon that happens to people who are trying to stay awake. So that's one weird thing. And there's another phenomenon called paradoxical insomnia, also known as sleep state misperception. And that's where you think you're lying awake, but actually you're asleep. And there have been a lot of studies on this. Uh, you can even be consciously aware of your environment, but you still be asleep. Like someone will say, go to a sleep center and say, help me, I have insomnia. They'll go and take the sleep test and the doctor will come back and say, we were monitoring your brain waves. You were asleep for eight hours. <laughs> okay, so now on these two things. Now the first one, I didn't know it had the name of microsleep, but mm-hmm. when I was reading about herpin. That was what I was thinking because I know mm-hmm. I never used to have. I used to sleep through the night. It was great. Then I had <clears> kids. And ever since I've had kids, my sleep habits have never <clears> been the same. I think a lot of people know what I'm talking about. Yep. But these days, uh, if I wake up at 4 a.m., I feel like I, I, I get very upset because I feel like I'm not going to fall asleep again before I have to get up for work. But I know that there are points during that 4 to 6 50 period where I actually did sleep Mm -hmm. but just don't feel like I got any rest from it or just don't you know uh, it just doesn't it didn't do anything for me and it's funny too about the second part because I have a friend who who has always told us she sleeps with her eyes open Mm -hmm. sometimes which is basically this and uh, one of these things if if there was any reality to the herpin story (laughs) one of these to me really does have some possibility to me. Yeah, those those both seem plausible, um, but there are some farther out possibilities uh, that I want to get to. But first, I want to talk about uh, other scientific experiments. Now, they have never experimented on humans to see how long they can stay up, 
but they have done it to lab rats. Because the question is, what biological function does sleep perform? It's still kind of a mystery. They discovered all kinds of things, but every organism on the planet sleeps for some reason. And it would be good to know exactly what is going on. And it's still the subject of, of much study. So they have done studies on lab rats where they have kept them awake by keeping them on little platforms and let them have all the food and water they want, but no sleep. And under those conditions, the rats have all died within 11 to 32 days of, uh, of no sleep. And they could not, they usually cannot discover any kind of anatomical cause of death. There's some obsessed gamers have kind of run this experiment themselves <laughs> too, right? Like they play the game for two straight nights and then they just, keel over and die and nobody knows why yeah well i think in those cases sometimes it's like deep vein thrombosis okay. or something like that <laughs> All right. it would not surprise me if some gamer just died after playing uh, league of legends for too long or something so my takeaway from all of this is that it is impossible for a normal person to stay awake for years on end you would be a mess after just a few days after all those symptoms that i talked about the only real exception to this would be people who have some kind of strange medical condition that would override that. So one of these is called fatal familial insomnia, which is incredibly nasty. It's a degenerative brain disorder, and it's a prion disease, which means it's the result not of a virus or a bacteria, but from malformed proteins that copy themselves inside your body. And, you know, these malformed copies get into healthy cells. And these diseases are especially nasty because there's no treatment whatsoever. Uh, mad cow disease is a prion disease. Uh, you can't kill it with heat. You can't kill it with any kind of drug. It's just really terrible. I advise not getting one. Yeah, good idea. Anyway, victims of this disease lose their ability to sleep completely, and a whole array of bad things happen to them. They get involuntary muscle movements. They get spasms. They get hallucinations. They have speech problems. They have all kinds of neurological symptoms, and after a few months of this, they go into a coma and eventually die. And it's unclear how much of this is from the underlying disease and how much of it is from lack of sleep. So I will rule this out for Albert Herpin because he lived a long time and was healthy for the most part, by all accounts. But there is one more disorder that I thought is very interesting and potentially relevant, and it's called Morvan's fibrillary chorea which is an extremely rare autoimmune disease first discovered in France in 1890. In this disease, patients have muscle twitching, sweating, and can also have extreme insomnia, sometimes for months or years on end. In 1974, a French researcher named Jouvet wrote a report about a man who had Morvan's chorea. And here's what he said in the introduction to his report. Is it possible that some patients can go without sleep for weeks or even months? The answer to this question is affirmative. We summarize, in fact, below the observation of a 27-year-old patient suffering from Morvan syndrome, whom we can say did not sleep for at least four months. This case is all the more exceptional as this insomnia, which did not lead to disturbances of attention or disturbances of memory, was accompanied by remarkable nocturnal hallucinations. So this, this is an interesting case. The, this 27-year-old man had a lot of symptoms, including nocturnal sweat for two or three hours every night and a permanent racing heart. They hooked him up to a polygraph to see if he was sleeping or not. And they also tried to put him to sleep with barbiturates and tranquilizers, but that did not work. And he seemed kind of depressed, but he was normal in every other way. He had an 89 IQ. The most extreme symptom the patient had was that every night at around 8 to 10 p.m., he would begin to hallucinate. 
first by feeling intense cold in his hands, becoming pale, experiencing intense pain and sweating and having vivid hallucinations. He would hallucinate going on a rocket trip and landing on the moon and meeting the people there, or hunting a pheasant and letting it go, or smelling bad smells or feeling animals on his body. These hallucinations would last 20 minutes to an hour, and the EEG readings of him during that time were similar to patients who were in stage one sleep. That is not dreaming sleep. That is a, an early form of sleep. Um, he would also have brief hallucinations at other times of family members and things like that, but only for a few seconds at a time. Now, Juvet thought that the longer hallucinations were not the result of sleep deprivation, but were because of the drugs that they were giving him to try to get him to go to sleep. And they did eventually find a drug that worked, but after a while of that, the insomnia came back and he eventually died. And for long periods of time, he would go without sleep during the time he was being treated. And other times he would sleep very briefly, like only for a half an hour. Uh, Overall, he went four months without sleeping, which is pretty crazy. At least four months, because that was only the time he was being observed by the doctor. From this case study, Gervais came to a remarkable conclusion. He said that most of the disorders that people experience while they're going without sleep are not the result of a lack of sleep, but they are the result of the body's sleep system trying to make them sleep. And according to him, this one case disproved the scientific consensus that sleep is a vital function. He wrote that sleep is, quote, not necessary for life. A man can read the newspaper, make plans for the future, play and win at cards, easily find recent memories or old, learn a complex labyrinth, and lay all night on a bed in the dark without having sleep. So that is that, that is an outlier for sure. I don't think most sleep scientists would agree with that. Um, if you're a sleep scientist, please write and let us know what you think. <laughs> One more fact about Morvan syndrome. It's thought to be caused by mercury or other heavy metal poisoning. And this relates to Herpin because he worked in the ceramics industry where... They use glazes that have a lot of heavy metals in them. He didn't hallucinate, though, that we know about. Like right. He seemed pretty content <clears throat> in his sleeplessness. Oddly mm-hmm. content, I would say. Yep. So here are the possibilities as I see them. And you may have some a take of your own, but here's, here's what I think. Number one, he had some weird disorder, like Morvan syndrome or something similar, maybe brought on by heavy metal poisoning where his sleep system did not function and he just stayed awake for decades. And I was ready to rule this out completely as preposterous, but until I found that paper by Juve, who was a sleep scientist, and that gave me second thoughts. Um, so I would now classify it that as impossible, but only as extremely unlikely. Can't rule it out completely. So, you know, that's that's out there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, number two, he was just lying. Like he really was sleeping and just hiding it. And he could have easily done that because he wasn't ever tested for uh, an extended period of time. The uh, thing that makes this slightly less plausible is that he never apparently got anything out of it. Um, he could have just been lying for attention. He liked being Trenton's sleepless wonder and <laughs> having the president offer to shake his hand. But again, I'd say that's not completely likely, but maybe a little bit more likely than the first one. And the last one, which I consider the most plausible, is that he was suffering from sleep state misperception. Uh, This seems very likely to me. 
If you go by Occam's razor, it requires us to make the fewest assumptions and leaps of logic. We don't have to overturn all of science. Um, this happens to about 5% of insomniacs who visit the sleep clinic end up being told that they actually are sleeping. So this would be the neatest and simplest explanation for what was happening. You know, uh, and, and it occurs to me <clears throat> that we can't have this kind of mystery any longer because of the video technology that exists today. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know about you. I've got cameras in my kid's room watching them uh, all night long. So uh, there, there wouldn't be any way for Herpin to get away with it if he was <laughs> making it up. Yeah. And I feel like even with the technology at the time, they could have tested him. But I guess they didn't really take him seriously enough to test him. Or they did, and there's just no account of it that I was able to find. So if you know of something like that, if you have any other evidence that we missed, uh, please send us an email or drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. That's all we have for this week. So check out The Man Who Never Slept by Robert Quinn if you want to read a fictionalized account of his life that has some theories of Quinn's own that that are pretty interesting and also a colorful description of life in Trenton in its industrial heyday. And I'd love to hear more about Albert Herpin if you have any information about him. Please get in touch with us through our Facebook page or at ForgottenHistoryNJ at gmail.com. Forgotten History is a production of Community News Service. It is recorded in our advanced podcasting studio Joe's office in beautiful Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Our theme music is The Quiet Earth by Thomas Bermandon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>